Matt Michaels, Rob Bustleary, and Sandy City Steve here on the Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting. Uh, we got a little special here, November's to remember. I kind of look back at some of uh, the big history moments uh, in November because there's a lot of things that have happened over the years in this particular month. Uh, and we're going to kick it off here, November 15th, 1989, uh, NWA Clash of Champions 9. It saw a main event of a non-title I quit match between Nature Boy Ric Flair and Terry Funk. Now, Flair would win the match by making Funk quit when he locked in the figure four. The match would go on to be voted the fourth best match of the year by Wrestling Observer Newsletter. The top three that year also featured Flair because they were all Flair versus Steamboat. Um, it's a very, to me, um, you know, it stands out, guys, as um, the year probably that Ric Flair was at the height of his career. You had the three Steamboat matches. The last Steamboat match ended with Funk on commentary. And that's when Terry Funk then took Flair and pile drove him through the announcer's table to set up what would be this I quit match um, between the two of them. And at that time, too, Terry Funk uh, was kind of, you know, in a little bit of a limbo um, between what he had done in the WWF in, in 1986 uh, you know, had gone to Japan for a while and had now come back to the NWA and got a little more exposure uh, through this match that would carry him uh, eventually into uh, about 50 more years of wrestling. So <laughs> a very, very uh, memorable match. Uh, one of the better I quit matches as well. Um, do either of you guys, uh, do you have a recollection of, uh, you know, did you guys see that match uh, back then, or uh, do you guys not really recall it at all? I was ten. <laughs> well, that I, uh, would be the perfect age. I I didn't see it at the time, but I did go back and rewatch it. Um, and yeah, it like you said, it was one of the better I quit matches for sure. Um, you know, I I didn't. I guess put two and two together um, that 89 being the best year of Ric Flair's career until you just said it, but it, it wouldn't surprise me uh, whatsoever. I mean um, you mentioned the, the matches with steamboat and obviously this one with funk. Um, yeah. It's, it's hard to argue against it. Yeah, it really was um, just, just being around, uh, you know, the, the age of uh, uh, around 14 at that time, uh, 14, 15. Um, I got to say, you know, it stood out uh, for all the horseman stuff. The horsemen always got, you know, the spotlight as the group. But Rick really, this was his pinnacle uh, where he was working one hour matches against Steamboat at house shows. So, you know, uh, and then, you know, would, of course, leave uh, a couple of years later for the WWF um, in 92. So it, it was a big year for him. Um, and uh, it was a big it was a big move for Funk, too, because that kind of rejuvenated his career. It, let's go to uh, the same day. Uh, 
November 15th in 1998 was the WWF Survivor Series. Uh, it didn't feature any traditional Sur Survivor Series matches, but instead the event played host to the Deadly Game Tournament to crown the new WWF champion. Going into the event, the story depicted Mankind as Vince McMahon's chosen winner as McMahon's gang of lackeys helped him through the rounds while seeming to attempt to put barriers in the way of The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. It transpired that this was an elaborate ruse as The Rock turned out to be McMahon's chosen champion, and he defeated Mankind with the sharpshooter in the main event as McMahon brazenly reenacted the Montreal Screwjob from the year prior. When looking back on the incredibly well-booked tournament, viewers could easily see it was being set for The Rock to win, but it was incredibly well hidden and uh, in the booking until the reveal at the end of the final match. Um, do you guys... To me, this was one of the best uh, bookings ever of a tournament. Um, do you guys, you know, again, um, this was, Steve, right around your, you know, getting into high school age almost, right? Yeah. Uh, you were probably right around college age, right? So, uh, or thereabouts. Um what do you guys remember about, you know, The Rock winning his first championship? And, uh, you know, he was on fucking fire in terms of the heel he he got after he won this, this you know, set up The Rock heel as being the biggest uh, bad guy in wrestling. Yeah, I, I think that the – you mentioned it right there um, – he was the biggest heel in wrestling uh, immediately after this tournament. Um, this was the rocks um, unveiling uh, for lack of a better term. Um, it, it previous to this. Yeah. He was, you know, third generation, yada, yada. But well, I quite it, frankly, I, I didn't see the, the draw so much in the rock right. until until he got the the corporate you know the the corporate backing and he became that guy this was the jumping off point in my opinion of an amazing career yeah and you got to remember too um so in that year uh you know the the build up was him in the nation and taking over the nation and domination and at that point this is when you know he was starting to come up with the catchphrases. He was starting to show the charisma. Um, the Rocky sucks chance yep. that he was getting from Rocky. Die, Mario, Rocky, die. Die, Rocky, die. All this kind of turned into the heat chance. And then all of a sudden in 98, he was starting to get a big turn by the fans. And he was becoming a uh, a face in the eyes of the fans. They were, again, doing what they did to Austin. And that is taking the heel and going, that guy's pretty fucking cool. We're, we're getting behind him. All that momentum that was going on, the fans just got shit on because of this heel turn. And they fucking hated him. And it was brilliant. 
Rob, do you do you remember? This is about, about the time that I'm starting to watch, and the first thing you see and remember of him are the sunglasses. Hey, sure. Because yeah. it hides your expression. It is really the ultimate. It is the quintessential poker face, and you need that because here's this guy coming in dressed up like some Persian pimp. With the and he's got the and he's doing Ric Flair. We get it. He's doing Ric Flair, but he's bringing it to my generation. So right. my generation is watching Ric Flair after the fact and doubling back and rewatching tapes to understand what this is all about. He's doing it as homage, but it's new to me, and it's really good. And is and he's a dick. And even when he goes over a couple of years down the road, he's still a dick because you he owns you. He owns yeah. you. He's, he's assuming. He assumes the sale. He's a salesman. Everything you do in life is selling. Everything right. you do in life. So you have to sell yourself. Even if you're a piece of shit, you can still go over. So he goes out there and he is walking out with McMahon every week. McMahon was coming out with these brown suits at the time, I remember. And he was and he was showing up with the white shirt, the brown suit, and the, and the black pants. And he's showing up at The Rock. And the crowd is just viscerally pissed. The boos are breaking the speakers on your TV. My speaker had crackling coming out of it from the boos. And he's got people on the top of their seat. It's a little different than Roman Reigns when Roman Reigns broke off from the shield and he goes, nah, nah, man, this ain't, this doesn't suck. This isn't boring. This is my life. No, that was, we really just are bored with you. This is, you have violently angered us. You are loathsome. I want to do something. And he worked with that so well. Yeah. Roman Reigns w w was never able to figure out how to, all right, they don't like me. Now I have to find newer ways to piss them off instead of just flatline, they don't like me. Yeah. Um, like Dominic will do that. You brought that or Dominic will will yeah. do the teardrops and say, I was in prison and this is my mommy, but they don't do it. He, he finds ways to piss you off. Rock yeah. found ways to piss the audience off. And double yeah. and triple and quadruple down. And that was my first experience to, I want to watch this program now. Because yeah. you have him doing it and you have Stone Cold doing it simultaneously. Yeah. And we don't know if they're not. Are they, Are you on my side? Oh, no, you're not. You're assuming I am. That was yeah. the thing. He wasn't talking down to me. He's literally that guy like, you know, why is that girl dating this guy who treats her like shit? That's the <laughs> rock. He's the, he's the boyfriend that treats you like shit. But you keep coming back. Um, yeah, uh, and and speaking of The Rock, November 17th, 1996, uh, the WWF uh, Survivor Series uh, is basically historically important because uh, that was the television debut of Rocky Maivia. Uh, he would become the sole survivor in his debut match. Uh, but later on that card, Brett the Hitman Hart wrestled his first match since WrestleMania 12, facing and defeating Stone Cold Steve Austin for the first time. And in the main event, Psycho Sid enjoyed the surprising fan support as he defeated Shawn Michaels to win the WWF Championship. Um, it's a notable Survivor Series because what you had just seen from that card established what would happen for the next five years, essentially. You had the Rock debut. Um, 
and who would have ever fucking thought because this guy comes out and he looks like yeah he's just that awful haircut the fucking weird the andrew dice clay haircut yeah the weird thing they put on his neck that had mm -hmm. like leather straps going down he tassels it, everywhere yeah, yeah it was just so bad <laughs> um you know yeah and you had him being excuse me the rock wants to know where christian cage is uh yeah it just it was it was uh it was something you know that would um you know be a be a debut that in the end rocky maivia could have been something that just could have sunk him but he you know he ended up you know, as we talked about, uh, you know, just breaking through that. But the big thing with Austin and Brett was, um, you know, Brett just never understood why the fans liked Austin. And I think that's the funniest thing about Brett Hart. The guy was a great wrestler, but he didn't understand that wrestling is something that is affected by societal change and couldn't grasp the fact that he was a good guy he was yeah. you know a role model and why are fans starting like this asshole i could i could jump in on this 1996 i'm in high school everyone in my high school is watching ecw sure it's playing on madison square garden three in the morning a tajiri match yeah. at three in the morning al snow would uh, what does everybody want? Head! And I'm going, what the fuck is this? And then one day at uh, at my, our local mall in Westchester County, Jefferson Valley, Simon Management Mall. It's got like four stores left in it. It's an empty mall now. But there was, they shut off the fountain. Here's the stage. And here's signing autographs. Brett the, Hit, uh, Brett the Hitman Hart and Rob Van Dam. And I don't know who they are. And someone's explaining it to me. And my first thought was, it's 96, and Brett the Hitman Hart looks like he's an old man. He's got bags under his eyes. He's huffing and puffing every time he's signing an autograph. He, he's pained to be there. There is a line for this fucking guy, and he doesn't want to be there. And that's my first impression of the guy. And then I turn on WWE. And at this point, 96, I'm watching it once a month for like a 20 minutes, half an hour. And this guy looks like that. Perception is reality. If you look like you're an exhausted and beat up and tired, you're not going to sell anything. I'm not going to sell. If I if I come up to you and I've got scuffed up shoes and my shirt's got fade is faded with stains on it, you're going to go. And I go, hey, uh, welcome. <laughs> just if you need me, just ask. Just, I'll be in the corner. I'm drinking a coffee. You're going to go, who the fuck is this guy? You know? So if, if some guy shows up, and he's got a shiny bald head and a goatee, and he looks like the mechanic who's probably banging your girlfriend on the weekends when you're not around, and he's going to threaten to kick the shit out of you, and he's quoting the Bible in his own name, and you're like, God damn, that's another level. Yeah. And he's full of energy. Yep. Energy. His entrance music isn't some rocker 90s crap. It was something ahead of its time. He comes out and there's glass-shattering He's, this guy's going to beat the shit out of you. The Rock comes up dressed up like some fucking Persian pimp. And he talks about how the... F and you're like, God damn. And then you had this guy who's dressed up in neon pink like it's 90, 1989. 
He didn't get the memo. He had old, he had this old late 80s gear. It was like watching Saved by the Bell, and it's the 90s, and these guys have this perv Casey Kasem running around at their school sock hop, and I'm going, what the fuck am I watching? These guys are like 20, and they still have Casey Kasem doing sock hops. Hey, this is Casey Kasem here. I'm at this random high school in Southern California, ambiguously beach area, and we're with these beautiful blonde-eyed kids. Blonde hair, blue eyed kids, man, and the one token black chick and the one nerd. All right, let's play the sounds of the 70s. And you're like, what am I watching? It's like 1995. You're still doing this, you know? I get it. He had a tag team in the early 90s with Jim Neidhart, and it was big. You didn't get the message, shit changed. Being a yeah. dick changed. Hunter Hearst Helmsley was a British dick, and then he kept the dick and dropped all the other pretense around it. And he made something of himself yeah. by just being an asshole. Yeah. And now, now when they see him, they go, oh, I love you, Hunter. Yeah. No, it, it it's, it, you know, it's just interesting, um, you know, the, to see where it was in 96. Uh, the same day uh, in 1997, uh, we had two events that happened, uh, one on Nitro and one on Raw. On Nitro, uh, the NWO introduced their newest member, Ravishing Rick Rude, uh, supporting his traditional mustache. An hour or so later, WWF Monday Night Raw aired its pre-taped show from Ontario, Canada, and Ravishing Rick Rude was in the ring with a full beard. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, you know, that was the whole thing that Rude left because uh, his contract uh, had a, basically not been extended. Uh, he didn't like the screw job in Montreal, so he went to WCW. So he's the only wrestler that appeared on both shows on the same night. But the third part of this trivia is that that weekend he would also appear on ECW Hardcore TV. He's the only wrestler in in the history of wrestling to appear on the three major company shows in one week, um, which was really just a, a cool thing to happen. And then he was uh, talking with Jeff Jarrett about a new idea for a company. <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, this was probably Rick Rude's last uh, big thing mm. he was noted for. Um, yeah because he was never really able to uh, wrestle again. No one would insure him right. uh, because of his injuries. Uh, now, on the same day on that Raw that uh, Rude was on, um, that is the show that Vince McMahon sat down with Jim Ross to talk about the Montreal Screwjob and gave the now famous Brett Screwed Bretch speech. Um, quote, some would say I screwed Bret Hart. Bret Hart would definitely tell you I screwed him. I look at it from a different standpoint. The referee didn't screw Bret Hart. Shawn Michaels certainly didn't screw Bret Hart, nor did Vince McMahon screw Bret Hart. I truly believe that Bret Hart screwed Bret Hart. Mm. One of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest moments uh, for Vince in terms of your, first of all, if you, you just gave your big, built star and out because you didn't want to pay him the contract that you guaranteed him. You were losing money. You're losing in the ratings and you let him go to WCW. 
it almost seems like Vince caught on to the fact that things were changing and he needed to change fast. And so he let this guy just go, hey, go ahead. He screwed him. I mean, that's how fucking, <laughs> that's how much. Perfect timing, was. too. He didn't do jack shit in WCW. No, well, not at all. And that's the whole thing, right? Yeah. When you look at it, you just go, man, that was a brilliant move. Um, it saved his company. And um, you were looking at a guy who wouldn't have had any real production for you, most likely, um, or value. And um, you got one of the best um, shoot-type interviews uh, and one of Vince's first in terms of him becoming an on-screen character. Um, it just is, is one of those remarkable standout, um, you know, also one of the, you know, Jim Ross at that point had done the, um, the mankind, uh, mm -hmm. sit down where he got, you know, the manable claw at the end of the three episodes of that, uh, yep. he'd done the, uh, sit down with, uh, Terry and Dustin, uh, when Dustin basically told Terry that the marriage was over, um, you know, he, he, it was some of the best, um, video producing segments that they had ever done. And, uh, it all was in that transition year of 97, which was, which was pretty huge. Um, really, how versatile is he as a performer? Dustin Reynolds. Oh, dude. He's one of the best. Yeah. He, is, he has absolutely been one of the best. Um, probably one of the, the Dustin's biggest problem was the fact that he had um, drug issues. Yes. If absolutely. he would, yeah, if he would have stayed clean, if he would have been someone that they could have trusted a little bit more, um, he probably could have been elevated. Um way higher maybe champion uh, at least once yeah there's yeah. no there's no doubt that gold dust was one of the most popular characters there for a while um and one of the most controversial you know he's absolutely one of the first guys who was given them um you know national media attention because you know there was questions about uh, this character being this gay or ambiguous type character. So he had lingerie on. That was one of the early matches I saw. Was she was puffing away on this big cigar, and they ripped away his costume, and he had on a whole women's nighty, yeah. like mm -hmm. the, the garter yeah. belt. And I went, "Oh, okay, this is what wrestling is." <laughs> this was one of the first matches I ever saw. Was that? Yeah, yeah, very. I mean, yeah, Dustin just. Throughout the years, one of the best. Um, on this, on that same day again, November. Uh, uh, real, really quick. Yeah, um, I just, I just have to point something out. Um, yeah. I was actually at that Nitro in Cincinnati, oh, and yeah. and obviously this is before I knew shit about shit when it comes right. to anything, you know, kayfabe or whatever. So obviously, Rick Rude is a character on WWE TV. They bring out Rick Rude. And everybody in the section is like, all right, what the fuck is going on? Because no one knew anything about the contract. No one knew anything, you know, about him just letting him walk, any of that kind of stuff. So 
yeah. it was it was a very interesting situation because as far as we knew, he was a contracted member of the other the other yeah. show. So that was that was really cool to experience live for sure. But that was hard for me at that time because you don't realize if you're just starting out, you don't realize what the Monday Night Wars are. You just yeah. understand all you're seeing is this week in a pay-per-view and it would be non-stop ads for pay-per-views. And oh, then yeah. it got to the point where it was NWO WCW presents and I was like who's Goldberg? Is yeah. he the Stone Cold knockoff? Why would I want to watch NWO? It looks like all the washed up guys from the 80s. <laughs> you know, and then and then that came to fruition and it, but that's where I was like there were too many choices I felt like. Even two were too many. And then ECW's there and I'm like well now I'm sitting there going, all right, I got to watch four more hours of this. And then there's a TNA match. And then there's an NJPW match. And then there's a women's wrestling match and a shine mm -hmm. match and an intergender uh, NWA. Billy Corgan's got no penis match uh, promotion. And But back then I'm like, new. so what do I watch first? So that's why it was tough for me to like focus on one thing to watch. Because they're going back and forth simultaneously. And then one guy's telling you, don't watch this. Shivani goes, oh, mankind just won the belt. You idiot. <laughs> um, you know, what's interesting is uh, you just brought up uh, a point that I found um, very, you know, this, this, this is the, the pinnacle of what was going on between the two shows. And this was November 29th, 1999. Um, now, I was there. Uh, this was uh, Raw, the wedding of Stephanie McMahon and Test, in which Triple H uh, interrupted it, played a video revealing that he secretly married an intoxicated Stephanie McMahon at a drive-thru in Las Vegas. Uh, the whole thing was later revealed to be a plot between the new Mr. and Mrs. Helmsley. Um it was one of the best fucking live shows I've ever been at. And that's because nobody in the arena expected that fucking video to play. No one saw that coming. Yeah. Um, if you go back and you watch it, Vince's face, his eyes are about to fucking explode out of his head. He is so pissed that this happened stephanie is crying stephanie's all of i think like 22 years old at that time <laughs> just you know i'd only been on tv for for a handful of months um you know the the whole buildup of uh during that summer test uh <laughs> test and stephanie were test was basically asked her to marry him but then she got hit in the head and had amnesia and couldn't remember who test was. And it took a few weeks to build it back up to where Stephanie then proposed to him in the ring. And Did we all have amnesia. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. That's how it, that's how it built to this wedding. Uh, and then of course they went on to do the, the McMahon Helmsley era. Um, and uh, you know, this was at the peak of uh, this was also the point too where Austin had his neck surgery. Yep. So Steve was out and Hunter now was elevated. Um, and then WrestleMania, of course, 2000 was the, the big event coming up then. 
uh, where you had the four, you know, the four McMahons uh, with a wrestler each. Um, Mc, uh, Mick Foley, who had just retired, was asked to come out of retirement to wrestle in that match. The Big Show, who you know had a brief run in '99 with the championship right around that time, and in, in uh, the the end of '99, uh, Hunter, of course, defending the title, and The Rock, who was the babyface chasing it, and they made the biggest move they've ever made and that was the heel retained the belt for the first time at wrestlemania and it was one of the greatest wrestlemanians i've ever been to too because of that because the fans were pissed but before we talk about that a little bit the same day on wcw <laughs> nitro tv champion scott hall throws the title uh in the garbage of uh the um the tv championship in the garbage he threw it in the garbage and uh it rendered the title defunct until hacksaw jim duggan plunked it out of the trash and uh he he did that the following year when he was portraying a janitor character yep Oh, I thought that was real. I, that was a work. In between matches. Yeah. Well, that, that's what he was actually under contract for. Axel Jim Duggins right now is going to be cleaning out the shitters of the Hudson Civic Center. <laughs> but, Go get your autograph on a piece of toilet paper. Two ply. One square. One yeah, square. One square. <laughs> but that shows, um, you know, just the difference of what they were coming up with in WCW uh, as versus what the, what Raw was doing and why the the tide had changed. And, um, was Vince Russo there by that point? Yeah. Because that yeah. was, you always hear at the end of WCW that he was accredited for all the problems. Oh, yeah. where Eric Bischoff had the vision and Vince Russo would come out and do some hokey storyline or have a bunch of, like the last year, every other month the belts would change hands so nobody yeah. held a belt for more than a couple of months at a time so the belts were pretty pretty bendy oh yeah yeah so so vince russo left um i think it was somewhere near the end of 98 um somewhere around that time him and uh uh kevin uh I uh, forget fucking the, the other guy's name who who portrayed uh, uh, good old OK in uh, WCW when they were making fun of Jim Ross's uh, Bell's palsy uh, in early 99. So they were there. Ed Ferrara. Uh, Ed Ferrara. There we go. Yes. Uh, you know, they, they were there in um, early 99 by that time. Uh yeah, this was this was definitely um, stuff that Russo had his hands on. I think by the end of '99 was the first time that Bischoff was gone. Um, so right around this time, you know, Russo was, you know, basically the only voice. Um, and then they had to bring Bischoff back because they realized they created a monster. And uh, and those two didn't work out well together. It's I don't it's know just what happened. You know, I made a bunch of storylines about a freaking guy who was fishing tiles out of the trash, and they didn't like it. <laughs> uh, 
but you know, it's it's just it's just interesting uh, that you had one of the most still memorable things in WWF history, WWE history. Uh, you know, going on while they were, you know, throwing a, a TV title, their own TV title, yeah. into the garbage. Um, but one of the biggest things, uh, of course, well, they were trying I, to get off that Alundra Blaze heat that they thought that probably would work twice. Yeah, except Alundra's belt was another company's, and this you're shitting on your own product. <laughs> Just makes no sense. Exactly. Um, November twenty second. Uh, 1990, one of the biggest events uh, or moments in wrestling history happened, and that was the debut of The Undertaker at Survivor Series. Um, do either of you guys, were you, I mean, Steve, you were young, um, and Rob, you don't seem like you were probably watching at that time. No, I, no, I mean, I, I had seen uh, a few things with in the early 80s of Cindy Lauper running in with Captain Lou Albano, took a break. Um, I, I would I couldn't have told you what promotion it was. Um, and then by the time Undertaker had just started, no, no, I know he came in later on. He was, you know, part of an attache, you know, he was part of uh Ted DiBiase's little this, like, you know, surprise guy. Well, this mm-hmm. was that was it. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was the surprise uh uh you know mystery uh, uh person on the on the team with the fred um, flintstone tie and the yeah the huge tie i'll, I'll tell you though like i was i was eight years old and that was one of the first pay-per-views that we were that we had ordered at yeah. uh at my parents house and yeah i at, at the time obviously again i'm eight years old um i i I loved the dark, spooky, you know, the the paranormal type shit even back then. And yeah, here comes this guy who is seven feet tall. No one else in the ring is even close. And he's just foreboding. He doesn't, you know, he he looks effortless out there. And he legitimately scared a lot of people in the audience. Meanwhile, I'm just thinking this is really fucking cool. Yeah. And By today's proceeded... standards, he's like party city level scary. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but at, at that time, like like I said, I'm fucking eight years old. I was all in on the Undertaker at at that time. I was like, holy shit, this is the coolest shit ever. Did you say so, all in? I did. <laughs> you, you, and you gotta understand, uh, you know, that was uh, again 1990. Uh, yep. This is and this is uh, November of '98. This is about a month, roughly about a month before um, Desert Storm started. Yep. Mm-hmm. So there was still a hokiness going on, and the Undertaker character, weirdly enough, was a very um, almost gray area between hokey and something more mature. And I think that, you know, what you saw a year later was uh, when he defeated Hogan at Survivor Series for the title. And then a couple days later, lost it to Hogan and, you know, made the uh, he's an example of less is more because 
Same thing with Kane. You, if I don't, if I come in and I'm not speaking, and no words are coming out of my mouth, you have no idea what I sound like. You only have your imagination to work with, Definitely. and and I'm not giving you much to work with except what you see. Jack Nicholson said this of uh, of his role in uh, Batman. He was like, "Let the costume do the talking." Okay, that was it. He's going to go in there and do his job, which is to be a pro wrestler. And he did that. And he has good representation coming in, which set him up. So you, you, you catapulted him in there. And now he just looks like a freak show. And it's 1990. I was joking earlier about, you know, you're talking, that's when Saved by the Bell still got Casey Kasem running around and people are wearing big clunky shoes and, and suits with the elbow pads and everyone's got neon colors. And here's this goth guy. Yeah. But there's no goth back then. We don't know what it is. There's no, there's nothing to reference him to. Right. The less and, you know about him, the more mysterious he is, and it builds him over. And and uh, again, uh, one of the you know the biggest factor in in all these things that we've uh, mentioned here is that uh, the internet was either non-existent or in its infancy in, in all those you know ninety three. Yeah. So between eighty nine and and ninety nine. You know, the, you didn't have, uh, you know, spoilers or smart mark uh, stuff. All you had was guys like Meltzer. Um, now, people who watched the NWA or WCW um, realized that it was Mark. <laughs> and it was me and Mark, um, you know. So, uh, but you talk about someone who... And again, it shows the difference between the two products. WCW, they didn't know what to do with this guy and just said, yeah, you're, you can go. And Vince just Here's what said, we want for you. We want you to be meaner, Mark, okay? You don't have to wear none of that hokey eye makeup either. I just want you to growl into the camera. Come on. Grr, you know, give me that little... This isn't working. And, and, you know, the the guys that he was around that were, you know, the biggest guys in WCW at that time in terms of uh, height and, and stuff was was uh, uh, El Gigante, the, the, the giant, and, uh, and Sid Vicious, uh, who he would face both in WrestleManias. Yeah. So, um, well, you got to remember, they were doing Shockmaster, huh? Huh? Shockmaster. Well, Shock, Shockmaster was uh, was 1995, uh, you know. But now think about this. You know, you brought up Shockmaster. You do realize that one of the most prominent characters in WWF at that time in 1990 was Tugboat. Yep. Who went on to be Shockmaster? Yep. So that poor man. <laughs> How is he? Is he still alive? Yes. Can oh, we yeah. give him a mental health check? Oh, he's he's doing great, actually. Yeah, Fred Fred Ottoman's doing great. Uh, and don't forget, good old tug job. Yeah, he he, <laughs> he went from boatload to uh, becoming a typhoon. Oh god. <laughs> but okay, well, that's a little look at some of the stuff that happened in November over the years. Uh, some of the more memorable things. Uh, again, thank you for. You didn't remember in. Uh, November to dismember. November to dismember, of course. Yeah. <laughs> no kind of love the names. Uh, 
Hey, you know what? November, uh, uh, Shane Douglas uh, won the ECW title, uh, and that was the uh, the first day of, uh, or the you know, winning it going into that long, the longest reigning uh, ECW title reign. Uh, the night so, the line was crossed. Yep. Uh, so you know there, there a lot of stuff that happened in November. Um, but and a young uh, Rob Boss Larry's watching blurry porn and then skipping back to MSG ECW matches. Nice. Blurry porn and a guy doing weird stuff with a mannequin head. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 That's a awesome. Friday night. Yeah, a Friday night. Typical Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> Typical fearless Fridays and typical Tuesdays. Is that door going to open up? Oh boy. What are you doing, mom? Either one of them is bad. Or a guy, guy face fucking him uh, on styrofoam head. The question was, was the sock on the door or was the sock uh, on your... Uh... <laughs> what does everybody want? <laughs> Oh man! What does uh, everybody need? Yeah, it's funny you're focusing on the mannequin head and not kimono Wanolea. Right. Yeah. I just missed that. Please forget about it. If it was kimono, I would have even made it here. <laughs> They're like, oh, oh god. Uh, Francine, man, it was something else. Don Marie. You you trashy New York women you had back then. It's <laughs> <laughs> just something else. They took oh, us to go see cats in the Winter Garden Theater on West 42nd Street, and they said, avert your eyes from all of the sex shops that surrounded the all around it and the hookers, like the late, like and, the, and again, these are like hookers, like like who didn't know to retire from the seventies. Oh, so shit. you see, like old fat women in like disco boots from the seventies, just surrounding the Winter Garden Theater. You know, this is you know that was my sixth grade field trip. Well, hey man, you went to see cats and you got a lot of extra pussy. Exactly. Oh, good lord! Oh, oh god. Well, you got me. You got me. You got it, me. You know what? It just goes to show, Rob, at that point in your life, you really were doing an old rum tum tugger. <laughs> the puns. I think I'm having a stroke here from all these fucking puns. <laughs> oh, memories. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> no. Oh, no. Oh no! Oh man! Uh, <laughs> oh god! Oh, uh, <laughs> it's, it's just it's it. That time of your life was just magical, Mister Mistopheles. Oh god! Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Well, from all of us here at the Vegas Bad Boys and. <laughs> The cast of Cats 1996 and the Winter Gardens Theater. We, we want to thank you for tuning in. And until next time, happy wrestling, everyone. Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting.